Welcome to the Mango Solutions Data-Driven Nirvana podcast series, where we'll be exploring a range of topics for businesses and business leaders around the impact of data science and data engineering, and particularly the impact of data-driven transformation. According to IDC, 40% of all technology spending will go towards digital transformations with enterprises spending in excess of $2 trillion throughout 2020. And yet 70% of all digital transformations fail to deliver, according to McKinsey. In this episode, we're going to explore why this huge rate of failure exists and what businesses can do to avoid being part of the statistic. My name is Dave Harris, and I'm here today with Mango Solutions co-founder and chief data scientist Rich Pugh, who has two decades in the industry and spends much of his time advising clients from a variety of industries on data-driven strategies, while keeping up to date with the cutting-edge commercial applications of data science. And it's also my great pleasure to welcome Esther McMorris, the CEO and founder of Nine Feet Tall, Mango's change partner. Esther has led a wide range of technology and business transformation programs and helped clients to achieve growth, increase profitability, and become more agile. Esther is proud to be a jargon-free straight talker, according to her website, who prefers conversation to email, so she is an ideal guest for our podcast. You're very welcome here, Esther. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about Nine Feet Tall and what you do. Yeah, okay. So um, Nine Feet Tall, at Nine Feet Tall, we specialise in delivering complex business transformation. And the projects we lead encompass many things. So often they have a large element of technology, uh, but one of the key things that makes us successful is that we also address um, the other areas. So things like data, which is very relevant for today, uh, but also changes to ways of working and people's behaviours to make sure that those new solutions are actually adopted and benefits are realised. So Rich, what, what, what's your sort of view of that? I mean, it's not just about the technology. No, absolutely not. I think this is where, um, you know, Nine Feet Tall is a perfect partner for us because what we found over the years is our work in data science and, you know, executing analytic projects has led us into the need for a partner who really understands change fundamentally. Because I think when, when you think about, you know, becoming data-driven or whichever phrase you want to use, right, data-guided, I heard wisdom-centric recently, which I think is hilarious, but whatever you're trying to do, right, the, the, I think organizations don't understand that the future is, is really about how you make better decisions with data. You know, if you've got two organizations making decisions and one's making better decisions, they'll win. And, and so for me, I think that future success is going to be driven by how well organizations are able to use their data to drive, you know, drive their, their outcomes. And so for us, when we are working on an analytic project, you know, it's easy to execute a data science project and get something really working on my laptop. That's, that's uh, pretty straightforward. But actually, if you're going to realize the potential value from that project, you need to land it in the business. And that fundamentally requires something to change in the business to enable that, whether it's technology, process, very often people. So if you do, a, I don't know, a project on churn, let's say, about, you know, know your customer, let's say, until, and, until someone actually uses that insight to, to behave in a more optimal manner, then you're not going to be successful. So that's kind of, for us, why, you know, it's not just about the tech, it's not just about the data, it's about actually how we enable that change. And that's why, you know, working with Nine Feet Tall has been so rewarding for us. Esther, it seems to me from listening to your answer and Rich's answer that a lot of this is about culture. A lot of it's about the the, how the organisation operates, and uh, as I think you both said, you know, it's not just about 
plonking some technology or a, a, a fantastic data solution on top of an organisation. You've got to embed it, you've got to bring people with you. And presumably that's what Nine Feet Tall is all about. Absolutely. And um, we have many projects where we're asked in, which I think we classify them as a project rescue, really, where organisations have put a new piece of kit in or a new piece of technology and they think it's going to fix everything. So the technology works, but actually if people put bad data in, then the information you're going to get out is poor as well, which then leads to, to poor decisions decision-making. So a lot of work we do is making sure that the people, I guess the people are onboarded and they know uh, they know what, what's required of them and what this new information is going to enable them to do. So I think really one of the key things from the start is setting that early vision to say, okay, what are you, you know, what are you trying to achieve? And I don't know, often we find there's so much jargon and you talked about me being jargon free and there's, I don't know, you've got AI, even the word transformation. A lot of people on the ground don't really know what it means. What is it that you're trying to solve? Are you trying to provide better solutions to your customers? Are you trying to automate things? Are you trying to decrease the error rates in in what you're trying to do? So I think to start with setting out that vision really clearly so people in the organisation understand what it is that you're trying to achieve is a really good starting point. In order to bring people along with you in an organisation, I mean, is it important to, to make sure you, you've got their views as well, you know, on, on how things should change? Absolutely, absolutely. And the more two-way um, communication you can create, the better. Um, and I think you often find that people who are at the customer services end and they're dealing with customers, they have a huge amount of insight. So they know what's working well and they know what's not working well. Um, and they know, actually, given certain information or certain technology or automation, it will really improve their jobs and the way they serve the customers um, so yeah I guess listening to them and really making them part of the solution instead of just pushing something upon them uh, will help the success of it. Rich it's, uh, I've heard it said that the internal audience in, a, in an organisation is often the most cynical audience that you're, that you're ever likely to come across and presumably that's you know you've you similarly have when you're trying to guide projects changes you're you know you, you're going to come across that cynicism and and you know how do you get around that how do you pull in the organization and make sure the people on the ground actually believe in what you're doing yeah no I, I, it's a good question and i think a healthy dose of cynicism in this area this is probably kind of quite a good thing to have because i, th- I think if you look back on the last 15 20 years and the sort of hype in the you know the ai and the data world has been just crazy right and i, I think that mirrors the big data world and, and so on where you know simple technical solutions were overhyped in terms of what they're going to promise to deliver to an organization and so on and and so we're still in that in that kind of era right now now, where if you look online, you Google AI, let's say, you know, you'll have all sorts of wonderful articles about how, yeah, AI is magic, right? You just plug it in, wonderful things happen. I, I, you know, the way the article reads, it's like, you know, money will just start pouring out of your server room. You know, th- this is just crazy. And so, and so, unfortunately, very often in this area, when I'm working with clients, I find myself in a situation where at the same time, you have people who understandably don't understand the mechanics and the possibilities of data and analytics. But at the same time, the, the, the background noise of AI being wonderful and machine learning being the answer and so on, it actually becomes really hard to navigate. And that's why I think from a, from a change in culture perspective, I think it's so 
critical that we're able to uh, teach the business a, a language around data and analytics. So I'm not talking here about, you know, trying to turn every business person into a data scientist, but giving them some sort of language around some of the key terminology in this area and explaining what AI is and isn't and, and how you should think about data becomes comes a really important part of the uh, of that cultural shift. And so I spend actually personally a, long, a lot of my time work with organizations to actually educate and build that common language that enables business and analytics and IT to kind of collaborate together towards this data-driven future. That's kind of where, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time personally. Yeah, and I completely agree, Rich, um, around AI and understanding what it is. Um, we often find with clients, when we talk about AI, people are really nervous because they think their jobs are going to go. They think it's new technology is going to come in that are gonna, that's going to automate things. So the more you can do about explaining what AI is and making it really specific to the people on the ground and we often refer to our fish and chips moment so when it's really understanding I guess what people's role is and how it's going to be impacted so if you're putting a change in uh, for a financial director well he'll be looking or she'll be looking for a reduction in cost or some savings when actually it's someone on the shop floor actually you need to understand well what is the impact to that particular person and the fish and chips analogy is a, is a personal one where we moved home and we moved we moved to Devon and it all made financial sense so my husband and I knew what we wanted to do it was a great lifestyle we had all the reasons ready but my little lad didn't enjoy it he didn't get it why do we need to go until he found out that the new school had fish and chips on Friday and everything was all right so what you need to do for your people in your organization you need to find that fish and chips moment so what is it that they can actually relate to and how do you get them brought into that change without scaring them off and Esther is it a given that the c-suite the executives will always be on board with this because presumably they're the ones who kind of give it the green light. No, <laughs> many executive. I think people get the principles and, and AI, AI or machine learning. It sounds like the, the done thing. So people want to jump on the bandwagon and want to do it. Um, but it really comes back to that vision to say, okay, instead of using AI, it's going, what are you trying to achieve? What is your end goal? So what is your end state that you're going towards? Is it better decision making? Is it better services for your customers? So what problems are you trying to solve? And and how is AI going to help you? Um, And we do a lot of work with the execs and the C-suites to really articulate that so that they're confident that they know what direction of travel they're going going into. I really agree, Esther. Uh, You know, the number of times I work with organizations where, um, you know, they're on a journey of some sort, if I can use that word. And, you know, you can't go to a data conference without hearing the word journey, right? And it's interesting because, you know, when you think about a journey, you think, well, that's a, that's a you know, the journey is traveling from A to B, right? I know where I'm going. But the number of organizations who are on some sort of data transformation, but I'm not entirely clear about the reason they're on that journey in the first place. Like, what is the hypothesis? What will this enable us to actually achieve? And therefore, don't understand the the sort of end goal, the destination, if you like. I came across this wonderful word recently, which was um, it's a, an old English word apparently called uh, codywumple, which is to, to travel purposefully towards a vague destination. And I thought that was a wonderful encapsulation 
continuation of some of the the conversations that happen at a lot of the, the kind of chief data conferences around you know where where organizations know they should be doing something around AI and data and so on but they don't quite know where it's going to take them and quite know how to get there I think in the terms of that I think it's firstly really important you understand exactly as Esther said why you why you're making the journey what will your future data driven or whatever phrase you want to use right what will your future business look like when you've achieved this and for me I think the decision making is a really nice example of a language that takes you away from talking about AI and ML and blockchain and so on, and talks about real specifics in the organization that everyone can understand. You know, if this allows me just to make my decisions better, then that's something we should kind of strive towards, and that's going to lead to success. So, so understanding and getting a language that works in an organization is a core part of being able to understand how to go on this journey and how to change. Esther, I wonder, are there, without naming names, are there examples you could you could tell us about briefly that, that where, where things have gone wrong because of that lack of vision, or, or indeed have gone right because people have understood it? Yeah, many, many clients we come across or work with, um, I think similar to what, what you're saying, Rich, they would have set up a data transformation project or a data transformation program, but not necessarily without really knowing what that was going to achieve. So, so these projects tend to drift, so they'll spend money on it and they might automate a few bits and pieces, but are they really getting the benefits out of it? Probably not. And where it is done well, so we have many clients where it has been done well, it is really thought through and there's a clear vision what that's going to achieve and that stays alive. So one of the key things is not just to set it out at the front to say, look, we're trying to I don't know, improve our services in in, in X manner, is then also keeping that vision alive. So as you go through the transformation program, is keep checking in to say, actually, are we on track to deliver this? Are Are we still doing the right thing? So it's kind of making changes, but keep checking in until you get to your final destination. So there's mixtures of really really awful and some some islands of real excellence and and I guess ultimately we're trying to help our clients to that level of excellence. Rich, I, I, I know that, I mean, Esther talked there about checking in and making sure mm. things go smoothly because I know from talking to you before and previous podcasts and things that, that um, you know, you can start out with the best of intentions and you can, you can have all that right and have your vision right, but then you meet unexpected blockages, if you like, in the road. And I guess that must be quite common in, when you're doing this sort of digital transformation. So what do you do about that? How should businesses handle that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good exa- good question. I think that you really, for me, that, that question speaks to, I suppose, two levels of of the change required in an organization to become more data-driven, right? So that firstly, on a project-by-project basis, the number of projects I've seen where, uh, you know, someone's actually done, uh, you know, a really good analytic piece, and then you can't land the value because, the you know, something in the organization doesn't change. And, and I, so I think that, you know, it's becoming increasingly important that people prioritize very carefully and the early investigation in these projects needs to be so so carefully done to ensure that we don't end up investing you know a significant amount of time and, and, and money in in initiatives that just are not going to land I'll give you a simple example so we were asked in by a, an insurance client um, to uh, execute a project around call center so very, very simply it was around if a call comes into the call center right now in this company the call was randomly allocated to a call you know member of the call center staff 
So the people that, you know, in, in our client realized very quickly that actually we could change this. You know, we could have something where when the call comes in, based on what I know about that call, that call and that customer, I will put you to exactly the right member of that team that that's able to, you know, maybe have a higher conversion ratio and so on. So a, a lovely idea. Uh, and they asked us to work on this project and they gave us the data and they were very excited. But before we started, we said, okay, well, let's kind of play this forward, right? Let's imagine we build a perfect model. How is this actually going to get rolled out into the, the call center? And because the project was owned by the data function, this organization, it, it was interesting because they, they hadn't really thought that far ahead. And so when we did a bit of, bit of exploration, we found out that actually in this call center, in order to land that solution, they'd have to, this company would have to entirely change their phone system, which is going to cost millions of pounds. So any value that we were going to actually have by ex, you know, delivering this project, it was just going to get wiped out completely. So I think that it's really important to, uh, you know, and you can kind of see with a project like that, you could easily go and spend, I don't know, half a million pound doing something beautiful that works on your laptop and you have this kind of like potential value, if you like, you could unlock, but it's never going to get realized. So I think I think it's important when you're you're going on this this transformation, I think it's important to uh, to have some tactical wins along the way, but you have to pick those really carefully. So that's kind of on a, on a project by project basis. But I was asked, and, and, and I suppose where I started really getting involved in the broader change conversation was I was asked by a, a client who was a tier one bank. Uh, I was asked a really beautiful question, which was, let me get the wording right, it was, how do I create a data-driven business from a collection of data science projects? So I thought it was a beautiful question because what they had done is they delivered, you know, tens, let's say, of really good projects. But from the business perspective, no one understood anything about these analytic projects. They just saw them as isolated examples of anecdotal, you know, clever value creation. But no one in the business and leadership could actually join the dots between these projects. And so for me, I think that it's important to absolutely deliver the tactical wins, to build the momentum, to get you through those barriers and so on. But also try and if you like, create a consistent experience where essentially turning data into, you know, into value, you know, turning decisions into data-driven decisions becomes just business as usual. And actually, I think that's kind of where we need to make this just really understandable across the organization for it to actually, actually kind of uh, come to fruition. Esther, I wonder if I could turn to you now and ask you to, let's assume that we've got a business, a client perhaps, who know where they are now and they know where they want to get to. They've got this very clear vision. Perfect client, I suppose. Like it, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if perhaps you could give us some tips for actually getting there. Yeah, so I think, I mean, and then maybe it's building on what Rich is is saying there. I think um, what we often recommend is is an agile approach. So instead of trying to get from start to finish in in one big leap, is to say, okay, well, how can we break that down into kind of into smaller milestones and smaller projects? And also working with people to, I guess, for them to accept that not everything's going to be perfect in the first go. So some of the agile principles is kind of fail fast and then you move on to the next thing so if it doesn't work you move on quickly so it's adopting some of those agile principles to to look at chunking it up into into smaller deliverables and one of the key things and we like from a change perspective and from a people perspective is to really share some of those successes along the way so instead of launching the project and saying we'll brief you back in two years when we're done is to have that continual communication to say okay well we've we've delivered a piece and actually these are the results and I don't know we, we some of the the clients we're working with at the moment we're doing video interviews so it's the day 
day in the life and they go actually see what we've done here I can now make these decisions or we go out to the customers to say actually do you know this is the information we're getting it is far better so sharing some of those good news stories of, of real people on the ground and the real impact it has creates a real traction and, and momentum to continue to deliver that and communication is all what and I think what we often see is that people don't want to communicate because they don't know when things are going live or what it's going to happen so instead of drip feeding information there is no information at all and and then people will make it up because the grapevine travels very fast so um, it is better to yeah be proactive and, and and have that regular communication so yeah so as an analogy um, I can use the uh, London underground example so if you are say at South Ken and you want to get to King's Cross well there's various routes and there's various options you could even decide to take the bus instead of the tube um, but if you decide to take the tube then you make a decision based on what you think is going to be the best journey so that could be the fastest or perhaps the least crowded one and as you decide what you want to do so you say you want to pick the Piccadilly line the interesting bit is when you are traveling everyone will always be looking at the next station oh gosh we've got to we've hit the next station and now we've hit the next and we're at Piccadilly Circus so it's a natural tendency for people to know and check in that they travel in the right direction and it gives a real sense of comfort and and knowing that you are on the right tube to the right destination and that's very similar in the project world so if you know you're trying to get to an end destination having those check-ins that you know you're traveling in the right direction and you're on the right route does help create momentum and and gives the business confidence um, that it's heading towards towards the direction it should be going. Rich, that seems like uh, good advice. And obviously for a non-data scientist like me, London Underground is easy to understand. Have you, have you ever got lost on the underground? Uh, I'm not sure I've, got, I've ever got lost on the underground, underground, no. But it's funny, it's, it's interesting when you actually look at the world of the, you know, we talked about the terminology around data and so on. If you look at the term, if you look at the definition of the term analytics as a simple example, it talks about, you know, um, looking at data, looking at information and finding a pattern. So maybe if you're, if you're going from South Ken to, to uh, King's Cross, maybe you're doing some analytics. I mean, that's, that's the that's the uh, the definition, right? Some data-driven transformation takes months, if, if not years, to embed. I mean, this business of, of telling people where they are on the journey, is that, about, is that also about motivation as well as sort of just keeping people up to date, you know, so that they know... Yeah, I think so. It's like Esther said, you know, I think you need that. You need to make sure that leadership, the business understand where you're going and why you're going on this journey, right? And actually what the future is going to look like. And, and so is it about decisions? Is it about cost reduction, automation? You know, what is the reason you're doing this? And then as you go through that, I think it's really important to uh, to sort of mix up your kind of strategic initiatives, if you like, with your tactical. You know, I think that can be quite unnatural sometimes in analytic and data science teams because a lot of analytic teams I suppose were were founded in the era the, the era of AI hype right so I know a, a number of data science functions let's say who are quite large kind of teams kind of going along doing some work but they actually have no explicit formal objectives in the organization which which might sound crazy right you've got you know a, a very expensive business unit with no no success criteria no objectives and so on and I, and I think what you what I you know the reason that's kind of come about is because 
because I, I think it's it's been created in this area where you know you just you just throw money at data and wonderful things happen and that, we'd have to think about the exactly the you know the way that actually works but we just we just invest in this stuff and so I think for for analytic functions when they are having to if you like kind of produce examples and evidence of value generation that can be quite unnatural and therefore in, in the data science world I do a lot of work with clients around how you measure value from an individual project versus maybe a, an established baseline in terms of how things happened before. If we can get to a point as analytic functions, and, and I guess talking as around analytical leadership for now, but if we can get to a point where we can systematically measure and report the aggregated value that we've generated through these projects, then we can start to show the organization, hey, look, this is a way of doing things. This isn't just an artisan, you know, black magic kind of kind of activity. This is this is really a, there's a mechanism in place here where we systematically turn data into value in the organization. And I think if we can keep doing that along the chain. So as we go through the journey, there's a there's a set of tactical ex, you know exercises where we will produce value as we go along that the business can understand that's part of a process as opposed to part of clever math or something like that, right? So so I think that's kind of a key thing for me is is mix the strategic initiatives with those tactical wins to help people achieve their objectives to show the future, show what the process both of becoming even more data driven looks like, but also helping people to make better decisions, achieve their objectives along the way. And Esther, is that reasonably straightforward when you're when you're starting out on a project to actually plan in those milestones, if you like, and those those communication points for the organisation? I wouldn't say straightforward, but it's doable, and it and it needs it needs thought. So I think one of the key things that similar to you, Rich, you we, you want to demonstrate the success of the project, and um, I think what people often forget is to baseline the current situation. So they go head in, they fly ahead, and they go, oh, we've delivered this great project. But if they hadn't baselined how fast they were doing particular things or or how many decisions they made or what their error rate was, then it's very difficult to, to then establish what your improvement is. So one of the key things we do is actually to baseline it. So you come in and you go, okay, well, what are the things that you're trying to improve? How are you currently performing? So that you can actually put measures against it. And actually some of the measures are achievable. So it is looking at speed. It's looking at error rates. It is looking at freeing up people's time to do other things. So if some things get automated. So if you think it through, there's actually quite a lot of real kind of pound sign measures that you can put in place to, to measure that and track success. And presumably getting feedback as well from the people at the sharp end as you go along is important as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we started our conversation at talking to people and, and getting, I guess, getting the user community engaged. And, and and that is really critical. And I think often it's underestimated. The communication piece is underestimated. So just because you send one email doesn't mean someone has read it. So um, in Nine Feet All, we talk about it being nine. We talk about nine methods of communication. So if you want a message to land, you need to do it in nine different ways. So that could be email. It could be multiple emails. It could be newsletters. A recent project for one of the large banks we ran, we did news on, news on the lose. Uh, so what is very popular is having post campaigns on the inside of the ladies' toilets get read very well. So there's lots of creative ways of communicating, but it needs to be consistent and consistent and continuous to be heard so to get those people engaged. And, and part of the original plan, as it were, rather than tacked on later. Absolutely, absolutely. And and 
Yeah, often budgets for that get cut. So we see it's a little add-on at the end and it's too late then. And we do recommend our clients, so if you, in terms of spending as well, if you're spending X amount on an IT project, we recommend that you spend an extra 50% on managing the change in the process and the other, the whole kind of the business side that goes with it. So it's not a technology project alone. It is actually a business transformation. Rich, businesses have to stay competitive. They have to stay relevant. Things are changing quickly, and obviously in the the world of data is, is becoming more and more important. I mean, does this ever really stop? Do, or, or is it a sort of continuous thing that businesses have to just keep looking? Or, or is there some sunlit upland that they're aiming for, and, and once they get there, that's it? For me, every decision can be made better with data. That's kind of where I start. And, okay, that's kind of, you know, I work in the data science field, obviously I would say that. But I, I think that every decision in business, whether it's big or small, can be made better with data. And for me, that's what analytics enables in data science and AI, whatever you want to call it, right? It enables us to make better decisions in the competition. So there's actually, there's, there's a nice analogy, actually, which is in the... Um, I'm going to get this massively wrong, so I'm sorry. But in the Harry Potter series, there's one book where a guy, called, I believe it's called Professor Slughorn, gives Harry this little potion, and it's like liquid luck, right? So it's uh, Harry drinks this potion, and then he spends the rest of the day making exactly the right decisions at any point. And it's, sometimes it's unintuitive. So, you know, you think he should go left, but he goes right, and it turns out to be exactly the right decision. For me, that's the nirvana state, right? That's kind of where we're trying to get to, which is imagine you had a jug of this, this kind of nice liquid luck on the desk, at, you know, reception desk every morning in your organization. And every time someone walks in that day, they take a swig of this stuff and all day they make the right decisions, right? So that's who to hire, which price, how to talk to customers. Every decision is exactly the right one. So for me, analytics is all about that moment. It's all about how do I get to a point where I can improve and continually improve the, you know, the rightness of our decision making, if you like. And so for me, that never stops because, you're, you know, if, if, you're, if you're doing that well, you're into this process of continuous improvement. You're always looking for, and that's what we're going to create, right, a culture where everyone's looking and asking, is there a better way of doing this? So, yeah, I don't think it ever ends. And I think, I think that's really important at a time where, you know, if you look at, if you look at the commercial landscape right now, um, you know, years ago when I started Mango, you know, that felt like a big moment in my life. I mean, Esther started a company as well. I remember having to go to the bank and sign paperwork and so on. And so at the time, that felt like a big, a big thing. Um, I interviewed a grad recently. Um, she'd started five businesses in her final year. And so I think the barriers to entry into even traditional industries now with technology advances are coming down quicker and quicker than ever. So for me, this idea of never stopping and continuing improvement is so important for traditional organizations where, okay, they have an advantage right now in terms of market position, in terms of the data. They need to get to a point where they are increasingly more efficient, you know, operating in a more optimal way around the decision making to keep ahead of the, the future kind of disruptive forces in their industries. So for me, it never really ends because you can always improve the way you make that decision. You can always improve the way you do things. Esther, is that uh, your view of things as well? Yes, very much so. And I would probably turn it on its head. I think if you look at it from a customer perspective, customers are fickle. They've got choice. They can switch. They can go elsewhere. So I think in the market, things will continue to change because customers are expecting more. And we were talking about 24-7. Well, 24-7 is no longer really excitable. We want it in the next hour. And that's only going to change. So customer demands are going to be more and more. They're going to continue to change. It's perhaps more about service than product. So I think there will be requirements for organizations to be really agile, use data to make informed decisions, but fast decisions, because otherwise they'll lose their customer base. 
You've been listening to the Data-Driven Nirvana podcast from Mango Solutions. My name's Dave Harris, and I've been talking to Rich Pugh, who's the Chief Data Scientist at Mango Solutions, and also to Esther McMorris, the CEO and founder of Nine Feet Tall. If you want to know more, uh, go to mango-solutions.com, or if you want to know more about Esther's company, it's www.ninefeettall, that's nine written out as a word, not the number, ninefeettall.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, tell your fellow data scientists, and keep listening. We'll be back soon with another episode.